0: Uh, Welcome, everybody, to all of our campuses, meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you made it to church. You put the effort in and you got here, so way to go. I also want to welcome those of you who are uh, joining us online around the country and the world. You're a part of our congregation. We know you're out there, so welcome to you. And I want to just give a real special welcome to my daughter, uh, Meg Nelson, and uh, her husband, Nellie, gave birth to our fifth grandchild last night. They don't have five. They have three, but, yeah, it was awesome. So they're in a Pittsburgh hospital watching. So Meg and Nelly, love you both. And Ibby and Maisie got a new brother. So his name is Hayes Robert Nelson. So I just, man. Anyway, uh, <laughs> special welcome to those of you who are students here today. I have a huge heart for those of you who are students, especially if you're away from home. Uh, that can be very unsettling. You know, some people love college. I never did. Hated it. Hated high school. Hated school all the way through my life, because I was so insecure about being in college or even in high school and grad school. Uh, and I thought, you know, I was just trying to fit in. It never felt like I did very well. And every time a new semester would begin in college or grad school, uh, I would say, I would think to myself, I just can't do this. You know, I'd get the ten-page syllabus for each of my four or five classes and look at the required papers and exams, and I just wanted to quit. Every semester, I felt completely overwhelmed. On top of that, I was driving bus morning and night to pay for tuition. I just thought, I just can't do this. Uh, I just want to ask a question. Have Have you ever felt that way in your life, that the challenges you face were so enormous that you didn't think you'd ever be able to meet them or get through them? You know, I feel that way every Monday morning, quite honestly. Every Monday morning when I open up an empty computer screen, I wonder to myself, what am I going to say this week to all you scary people? And I'm telling you, some of you are. Uh, but it's why I love 2 Corinthians 12:9. I just cling to this verse. Paul says God's power is actually made perfect in weaknesses. And he says, so I delight, I actually delight in weaknesses because when I am weak, Paul says, that's when I can tap into God's strength and God's power shows up through my weaknesses. Every day I pray this prayer, I prayed it this morning, God, in my weakness, please make me strong today. I need your strength. So glad you're all here today uh, because we start a new series called Divine Direction because I think all of us need God's help to overcome life's challenges, and today's message is called Start. Is there something in your life that maybe God wants you to start? This is why I love dogs, by the way. They're always ready to go. They don't mind starting. You pull out the leash. You say, want to go for a walk? Want to go somewhere? They are on it. They want to start, right? Cats on the other hand, (laughs) they're lazy, they're moody, you can't predict them, I mean dogs are where it's at, they know how to live life. Hey, 28 years ago, uh, my wife and I bought our first home 28 years ago. We're still living in it. Still there. I planted 50 trees 28 years ago in our yard. And I said to my wife, we are staying right here for at least 20 years. We're going to watch these trees grow. We're going to raise our kids, lead our church, and see what God does. But there was a problem in our, on our property. It was this enormous ball of barbed wire fencing that sat on the edge of our backyard and woods. And years ago, someone had rolled up about a half mile of barbed wire and left it on our property, all tangled up in this gnarly mess. So for 15 years, the first 15 years there, every time I looked at this enormous pile, I was bothered and defeated. Because there was nothing I could do about it. Every once in a while, I, w- I would pull on it, and it was just, why am I even doing that? It was just so big, and he meshed into the ground. It was hopeless. So I thought, well, you know, maybe if I prayed for God to do a miracle, maybe God would move it. Well, he didn't. I thought, maybe my kids will surprise me one day, and they'll have it all cleaned up. <laughs> of course not. For 15 years, that impossible ball of wire sat in our woods until one day, I stood staring at it, and I made a decision to start breaking little pieces off one at a time and put them in our garbage, because I just couldn't stand it anymore. Every time I was in our woods, I would break a little piece off and throw it away, but after three months, I thought, this is just so stupid, because it's not making any difference at all. But then three months after that, I noticed there was a small difference in the pile, and pretty soon whole sections were breaking off. The garbage man, I'm telling you, must have hated me, but he never mentioned it because I gave him a huge Christmas tip just to kind of pay him off. I remember the day I looked at that pile. This was 10 months into this now, 10 months of you know taking off little pieces, and I knew I was going to win. Two months after that, a full year. This pile was gone, and I can tell you, next to getting married and having kids, this was the happiest day of my life. (laughs) I don't have a lot going on. But for 15 years, nothing happened. 15 years, that pile was my silent enemy until one day, I simply decided to start. And I've never forgotten what that pile has taught me that small acts repeated over time lead to big victories. It's not the big deal things. It's the small acts repeated over and over again that lead to big victories. That goes for getting a degree in school, saving money, raising kids, growing a church, or starting a business. Small acts repeated over time lead to great victories, I'm telling you. So I want to ask you, What is your big ball of barbed wire and where do you need to start? What is so overwhelming to you that every time you think of it, you say, I can't do that. I can't overcome that. Because the truth is, no matter what your big ball of barbed wire might be, you can do something. You can start breaking off little pieces of your debt if that's a problem or your weight, or a 300-page 300, 300 textbook, or an assignment at work. You can read, every one of us can read one page out of the Bible every single day. You can pray a prayer every single day, just a brief 30-second prayer, and five or 10 years later, that will change your life for the better. You'll gain victory in your life. It'll take time. Uh, There's a story in the Bible that models this better than any story, I believe, in the Bible. It takes place in 400 B.C. The city of Jerusalem is laying in ruins. It had been sacked and destroyed, and the Jewish people who lived there were scattered throughout Asia in exile, without a home, which brings us to one man, Nehemiah. Nehemiah happened to get a job with the Persian king as a cupbearer. So he's got no skills, he's got no authority, he's just a butler you know, in the king's court. But one day he hears about the broken condition of Jerusalem. It's been 200 years since it's been destroyed and nobody ever thought it would be rebuilt. But Nehemiah hears about this pile of rubble that was once his homeland, and he just couldn't stand it. And so he begins to recruit workers. And he gets permission from the Persian king to do this. Jerusalem's 800 miles away. And he recruits builders and stoneworkers, craftsmen and commoners, and in 52 days, in 52 days, Nehemiah, with this bunch of misfits, rebuilds this city that had been destroyed for 200 years. the question is, how did he do it? I'll give you four ways that this happened real quickly. First thing Nehemiah did, he fasted and prayed. Bible says in Nehemiah 1.4 that he mourned for three days. He cried, he tore his clothing, and he fasted for three days and he prayed. By the way, I hate to fast. Because I love food. I just dislike fasting immensely. But the first thing Nehemiah did was he started with prayer and fasting because he knew that without God involved, this would absolutely fail. My wife and I have fasted and prayed for our kids' protection through the years. When they went off to high school, that was one time we fasted and prayed. When they went off to college, we again fasted and prayed for their protection. Whenever we have faced a challenge here at church or in our family, we have spent a little bit of time fasting and praying to God. And and During a fast, you're saying to God that you are so desperate for his help that you're actually willing to forego food as a sign of singular dependence on him. Again, I don't like to fast. I don't do it enough enough as, as much as I should, but I can tell you every time we have fasted and prayed, as a singular devotion to God, he has answered those prayers in unbelievable ways. It's the first thing Nehemiah does. Second thing he does, he defined reality. After you pray about whatever problem it is that you're facing, could be a hard semester in school, could be some massive conflict you're having at work or in your marriage, could be the condition of your finances, the next thing you should do is be honest about the situation and face the facts. So in verse 11, Nehemiah says, I went to Jerusalem, I examined, keyword, the walls that had been broken and destroyed by fire. If we kept reading, we'd see that he inspected every gate, every wall, every pile of rubble, every detail, because he had to find out what he was dealing with. Because, gang, when you live by faith, you don't ignore the facts. This is especially true for believers here today. You know, some Christians, I'll run into them, they'll say, well, I've got this horrible mess going on, and I'm just, but I'm just going to trust God. Ignore all this. I'm just going to sit back. That's just stupid. If I can say that. When you live by faith, don't ignore the facts. Pray, of course, but then start digging around. Why is this happening? What's the reality that I'm living with? I'm telling you, behind every faith move we've ever made in this church are hundreds of meetings that we spent pouring over numbers, spreadsheets that most people never see, searching the facts. At every executive meeting that I hold twice a month, I ask for a reality check on four areas. I say I want to know the condition of our finances. I want to see the numbers. Where are we? I want to know the condition of our staff. Are there issues on our staff, tensions, whatever. I want to know the condition of our eight campuses. What's going on there? Are we in good shape, tough situation? What's going on? I want to know, fourthly, what are the plans for expansion? Where are we? How is that going? What's what's the idea? Every single executive team meeting, I ask for those four factual pieces of data. So what's your reality? What are the facts concerning your life? For example, what's the condition of your soul? Honestly, is it well with your soul? Or is your soul in constant turmoil? And if that's the case, why is that? What are the condition of your kids? What's the reality there if you have kids? Are your kids good and growing? Or are they in constant trouble? What are the facts? What's the reality around that? Or your relationships? Are your relationships healthy and strong? Or do you kind of blow through one relationship after another and just assume everybody else is the problem? Gang, if the walls are crumbling in some area in your life, you have to face the facts and ask this question, what's going on here? What do I need to know? What's the condition of my life? In 2008, when the economy went south, my wife and I met with our financial advisor, and it was very painful. And he didn't want to show us the bad news. Finally, I said, Greg, show us the numbers. What have we lost What do we have left? And when he showed us, I was immediately deflated. We were 52, my wife and I at the time, 10 years ago, and when we looked at our savings, I said, well, we're never going to be able to retire on that, are we? And Greg said, at this rate, you won't be able to retire until you're 102. I plan on being dead when I'm 102. That was a bit of a problem, but I can tell you that single statement woke us up to our new financial reality. So Lori and I were planning on remodeling our kitchen. We put that on hold. We cut all unnecessary spending, and we started an aggressive form of saving that we have continued to this day. Now, 10 years later, we're on track, but it all goes back to that singular moment when we faced our reality. Now, we never cut back on giving because we believe that God honors giving in supernatural ways, and he has in our life, but I want to ask all of you one more time, what's the true condition of your family these days? What's the condition of your relationships, your faith, your health? and your finances, because in order to overcome any obstacle, you have to face reality. Third thing Nehemiah did was he braced for opposition. I will guarantee you the moment that you decide to try to fight a problem or overcome a problem, you will get criticized. You're going to face opposition. Nehemiah did exactly what God had led him to do, and then he just got hammered with opposition, look at what the Bible says about this, but when Samblet the Horonite, these are neighboring nations, Tobiah the Ammonite and Geshem the Arab heard about this building project, they mocked and ridiculed us. They actually went to war against Nehemiah, eventually. What is this you're doing, they said? Are you rebelling against the king? False accusation. They had the king's permission, but that's what people do. They will falsely accuse you. The moment you stand up and attempt something noble, the moment you stand up for truth, you will be opposed. It's just the way our world is. You will get criticized. You know, maybe you struggle with an addiction. So you go to AA or Quest 180 here at church, but your buddies begin to kind of mock you for being soft and not any fun anymore. Or maybe your marriage is in trouble or struggling, so you seek counseling, but a friend tells you to give it up. It's not worth fighting for. Or you start going to church and make a commitment to pursue a relationship with Jesus, but your classmates kind of belittle you for being overly religious, telling you the moment you stand up, the moment you decide to attack something in your life that is a problem, you will receive opposition telling you, every building, campus, every campus we have built, every good thing we've tried to do here at church, there's been opposition from community groups, city councils, even from well-meaning members. In fact, here's what I believe. I think one of the signs that you're doing the right thing is you're going to get criticized. Now, sometimes you're criticized for doing the wrong thing, and you need to listen to that. So you need to be wise and discerning. Check off with some godly, wise people. You're receiving this criticism. You think you're doing the right thing. And if they say, yes, you're doing the right thing, then move forward. Because one of the signs that you're doing the right thing, for sure, is you're going to be opposed. Okay. Final thing that Nehemiah did, dove in. Start building. After you've fasted and prayed about this problem. After you've defined your reality, embraced for opposition, then at some point you simply have to attack the pile of barbed wire. I love this in Nehemiah. Let's come, Nehemiah said, Come, let's build the wall of Jerusalem. And the people with one voice said, Let's do it. Let's start building. In my preparation the past couple of weeks, when I came to this moment, I just kind of lifted my head out of my notes, and I thought, I thought, this question that I want to raise for all of you, and here it is. As you think about your current situation, what's one thing you would change if you could? I mean, if you could, if you could wave a magic wand and say, I wish that was no longer a problem, what would it be? Is it debt for some of you? Is it anxiety or worry? Is it the fact that you have no savings? Or the pace of your life is manic? You're going at Mach 2 and just stress. Why are you doing that, by the way? If that's true? You know, maybe it's a problem child. If, if that could be resolved, you'd be so grateful. Or a problem sibling. I mean, we could talk about that for a long time, couldn't we? today, or a problem colleague or roommate or parent, what's one thing you would change if you could? Second question is more important. What will you start this week to accomplish that, to try to move that forward? John Grisham, one of my favorite authors, was a lawyer. But he wanted to write novels, but being a lawyer consumed all of his time, and so Grisham thought, you know, if I get up at five in the morning before work and write one page a day, at the end of the year, I will have a 365-page novel. Well, that first novel, A Time to Kill, was rejected by 28 publishers, finally picked up by a no-name publisher. That novel sold two million copies. It's the only third time this has ever happened in the history of the world. Two million copies turned into a movie. Grisham has since written 40 New York best-selling novels. He no longer practices law, of course. And it all started by writing one page a day. So again, I want to ask you, what do you need to start? John Maxwell, prolific author and entrepreneur, says this. He says, start with whatever you keep saying, I should do that. Start there. I have some suggestions. Some of you start saving. You can do that. Start exercising. Start reading. Start saying no. This this is so important. No is my favorite word. I'm such a joy to be around. But it's so important because what you say no to, then you're saying yes to something else. Living within my means. I should start saying I'm sorry. I had to say I'm sorry to someone five times last week, someone I love. I should start growing my faith. I should start volunteering or mentoring. I should visit my son. Some of you. I should visit my daughter. I should write a note. I should ask for help. I should offer to help. What's the one thing you keep saying? I should do that. Because nothing happens until you do. And probably for all of us, including myself, there's something we should start spiritually. Honestly, I want to show you something that's not new with me, but it shows how most of us are actually at a starting point somewhere spiritually, including myself. And so I want to just show you this real quickly. Uh, You know, some of us here today are what we call you're exploring. You, you're, you don't know what to do with Christianity. You don't know what to do with faith, but, but you're interested. In fact, someone maybe invited you here today or you got dragged here by a friend. You finally said, okay, I'll go. Just get off my case. So you're here. And this is the exploring stage. And, and Romans 3, though, 23 says, for all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's expectations, God's glory. All of us have sinned. And then Romans six twenty-three says the wages of sin, the penalty for sin is, is death to our relationships, our career, those kind of things. The penalty for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. And so some of you are hearing that, maybe for the first time today. And this is, by the way, is why Jesus Christ came to this planet to take care of sin. And so John three sixteen says, For God so loves this world, loves every one of us, he phrased that whoever believes in him puts their trust in him, will not perish, will not die like these verses say, but they'll be given eternal life. They will not perish, but given eternal life through faith in Jesus. And our prayer is that those of you who are exploring faith would, would put your belief in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And you gain forgiveness and grace and freedom, and you start over. It's wonderful. Well, if you do that, the next person who's here today is that you're new. You're new in your faith. This is a very exciting stage to be in. Some of you were baptized just recently. We had over 2,000 people baptized this last year and you're new in your faith, very exciting. You love church. You never miss, usually. You love the songs. You love the teaching. I mean, you're just, you invite people. You're unashamed about your faith and about your excitement. The Bible says the old life is gone, the new has come. Can't get enough of it. But around year three, you know, you realize you need to start growing in your faith. And so it really becomes about receiving from God, you know, and we hear things like, you know, feed me good teaching, uh, inspire me, you know, bless me, pray for me. Um, you know, and it, it, it can be kind of self centered at, at times, especially if this, this goes on too much longer. Again, year three is is where we start to hear some little criticisms. You know, I'm not sure I like the music. The church is a little too big for me. I like Jason better than Bob. And I'm like, we can't help you. (laughs) Because it's really, this, this area can be dangerous because it becomes more about me and what I need than what God wants to do through me. And sometimes these folks hit a wall, and they're just struggling, and they get a little critical. And really what needs to happen is a second cross. This is the cross of salvation. This is the cross of sacrifice. And our prayer is that you'll go through this and realize that's not about you, and you become Christ-centered where Jesus Christ is the center of your life, in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. I've been crucified. It's no longer about me. I've put self to death, and I'm now living my life fully for him and And what happens with these people is they they stop complaining about stuff that annoys them, and they're just so passionate about reaching these people. You can always tell. Now, I, I believe all of us are at one of these stages. By the way, I kind of flop back and forth from being on track to being selfish again. That's just real normal. But wherever you're at, I think you're probably nervous About moving to the next area. You know, if you're an explorer, boy, do I really want to accept Christ and put my faith in him? Once you do, you'll never, you're so glad you did. If you're new in Christ, do I really want to grow? Or if I if I'm you know maturing, do I really want to be sacrificial? There's some nervousness around that, but I can tell you right here: this is where fulfillment happens. This is where. The Bible talks about a peace that enters your soul that passes understanding. That's where joy and happiness comes into your life. And there's nothing like it. Some of you feel like something's missing in your life and it'll continue to feel that way until you actually come to a place where it's no longer about you. You die to self. and It becomes more about serving him and serving others. And again, I go back and forth. Let me close with this. Several months ago, a friend gifted to me a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to be on a boat for five days with five other guys, and we did a lot of sailing and snorkeling, And one afternoon, three of the guys wanted to do more snorkeling, but I was tired and cold and didn't feel like it. Seen one fish, seen them all. So I sat there and I watched these three guys swim away, and I was immediately conflicted. I was so comfortable sitting there sipping a Diet Coke, but also so jealous of what they would experience below the surface of the ocean. You know, I was kind of hoping they'd just see some snails and seaweed and just, you know. But suddenly, one of them popped up and yelled to the others, Did you see that barracuda? I've never seen a barracuda in the wild." And I thought, doggone it. Swam a little further, another one popped up. Did you see the stingray over here? And they were just having a ball, seeing and experiencing the wonders of the vast sea. Me, nothing sitting there holding a Diet Coke. All this splendor and excitement was right in front of me, and I missed it. Doing something I could do every single day. And then they swam toward the coolest rock formation and reefs that just exploded with sea life, and I missed all of it. And honestly, I think that's how a lot of us live our lives. God wants us to start something that maybe we've never tried before. God invites us into this sea of new discoveries and opportunities. He promises to do far more in your life, through your life, than you could possibly even ask or think about or imagine if we would just start. But there I sat. Because it was more comfortable... When the three guys came back, they just spilled over with excitement and stories. Finally, I said, that's it. I grabbed my mask, my fins, I dove in, and my immediate thought was this. I almost missed this. I'll never forget that swim. And I wonder today if any of us are missing what God wants to do for you and through you. Maybe because we're playing it safe. Maybe because we think the challenge is too big, or maybe we're just comfortable. Gang, I honestly, I believe this to the core of my being. I honestly believe that God wants every single one of us, including me, to start something new. I believe this, that God wants us to start something new. Start trusting him. Start risking things for him. Start getting serious about our faith. Start swimming. And watch God do something in your life that you never thought would happen. I'm so excited about this church. I love this church. I'm excited what God is gonna start to do in this church. You know, last spring, Jason and I shared a vision to start reaching beyond the Twin Cities, and I'm so excited for places like Rochester and beyond. Watch what God's going to do, but be a part of it. Start. Get yourself ready. Let's watch this as we close.